the decision that came down from the judge to basically say no referendum. Uh, school board will be elected school board. State will not come in as far as the referendum goes. Um, Mayor Lovely Warren said that she will appeal it going forward. Van White is here, president of the Rochester City School Board. Hello, sir. How are you? Good morning, everybody. Um, your, your thoughts on that? Uh, Friday, it was um, in front of, was it number 12 school? You're, you're basically saying, hey, this is what the judge said. Uh, let's move forward. You have a school year starting in about a month. A new superintendent coming up in about a month. I think summer graduations are coming up. About two in or three weeks. Two or three weeks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your thoughts now on one the ruling and now the mayor deciding. You know what? I'm going to appeal that ruling. Well, the first thing I want to say is that people wondered why we went to number twelve school. That wasn't by accident. You know, we renamed that school the Anna Murray Douglas School after Frederick Douglass's mm-hmm. first wife. And uh, we stood in front of that statute. And the reason why we did that is many people have been throwing around quotes from Frederick Douglass, Mm. talking about the importance of people having a choice. Well, the irony here is let's break this referendum down. And the judge, I think, articulated very clear why it was unlawful and illegal. But one of the principal reasons why I and my colleagues oppose it is Frederick Douglass, think about this. In your right mind, do you ever think that Frederick Douglass would support a measure that called for people to take away their right to vote for their elected representative. Now think about that for a minute. Let's just uh, let that marinate for Mm -hmm. a minute. Mm -hmm. Do you really think that Frederick Douglass would say, hey, listen, let's have a referendum that allows people of color to lose their right to elect their uh, elected representatives. There is no way in God's green earth Mm. that he would support that. So that's why we stood there. And, And the decision speaks for itself. People wondered why we were doing it, you know, were we trying to protect our salaries, were we trying to protect our positions. I'm gonna tell you something, I was on this show for 15, 16 years. Most of the time I was on the show, you know, I talked about the importance of civil rights and the importance of protecting democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I brought into the studio the button that my father wore to the March on Washington. I have traveled down the East Coast with a civil rights bus. Mm. Uh, there could be nothing more important than people having the right to vote and elect their own representatives. So. That's why we did it. And also, you know, I'm a lawyer by trade. And the law was very abundantly clear. The arguments that ended up in the judge's decision were the arguments that we shared with our lawyer. That you can't, you know, if you want to get an understanding of where people in Rochester are at, you call a poll company up and you say, hey, listen, what do you think about this? And the law doesn't allow government officials to use a referendum as a, as a poll. You can't do that. Well, let me let me let me jump in and say one thing. Um, and you've been on before, and we've had digital water coolers where people don't know. We'll do podcasts, and you'll respond to certain things there. Um, if if the school district is getting better, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, no system is safe. Why not let the referendum speak to how people are seeing the progress, as opposed to the perception that it's not getting better? Well, people speak, and they speak pretty regularly with respect to school board elections. Every two years, they get to decide whether the people that are in the positions of school board members are doing the right thing by them. So it's disingenuous for people to suggest that without this referendum, people won't have an opportunity to speak. They speak every two years. Mm-hmm. But let me repeat it's something that I think people miss. 24 people between 1954 and 1972, 24 people died so that people could have the right to elect their own representatives, 24 people. Is that something that we should dismiss in favor of a poll? No, 
Again, I wear that button that my father wore 250 plus thousand, 250,000 plus people wore to the March on Washington in 1963 because we hold sacred, not only black folks, but people in this country mm. hold sacred this right to vote. I, but, but, but we don't vote in between presidential elections, which is part of the problem. Part of the problem is we don't consistently vote in between those presidential, you know that. Oh, I, the I, biggest I, one is in between uh, presidential, uh, the uh, presidential election to presidential election is where we get the biggest sort of turnout when it comes to voting, and which is why we at DKX talk about voting all the time and making mm-hmm. sure you're registered to vote because once this hits a referendum, that's it. This may or may not hit a referendum. But the, the other end of this too is the fact that we need more people going out to vote. Oh, absolutely. More than, more than I, ever before, the, right. the small people that do vote will determine the outcome of what's really going to happen in this city, this county, this country. No, 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 I agree with that. And my statement wasn't to suggest that that fundamental value of American democracy is played out every election, because you're right, it's not. Mm -hmm. But what I was speaking to is we hold it so sacred that since the founding of this country and since the civil rights movement, people have died, literally given up their lives so that people could register and vote for their elected representatives. I would never That's fight you. About. I would never fight you on history. I'm not. This isn't about sort of history. This is about perception and feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think this is about like your data. The one thing I'm starting to realize right now is is data can show a lot of different things. Sure, can. but data can't show people's beliefs and Thank beliefs you. in the system. That that's who we system are. That's not working. Is that what you're fighting, Van? Like, are you fighting a perception based on? experience and what people live with every day as opposed to data that shows here's where we're improving well i I, you know i've been in this studio many times and i've offered up the data and i i remind people uh and have to remind the mayor Mm -hmm. that most of the people on the board of education started with the same perception that she has this system was jacked up before we got there i tell people the baseline for me and commissioner elliott when we started, the four-year graduation rate was 39%. This last cohort, June, this last graduating set of kids, 57.8. That's a significant increase. This stuff isn't going to turn around overnight. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, I think I heard the mayor say yesterday, systems take time, yeah. right? So no one is saying the system is operating perfectly. But during that period of time, you've had a board of education that has been part of creating a, improving a system that has increased the graduation. Nobody is celebrating. No one is saying his mission is accomplished. No one's saying the system is perfect. That's in fact why all of us ran for the Board of Education. In the community, you have people who are saying, and you can see, you can go through our text messages that they, this is their belief and this is what they feel and this is what they want addressed is pushing the kids through to the next grade, even if they fail a course or every course. Well, you know, that that's the to thing. Get, that, and this is the belief. I'm just telling yeah. you the belief. This is, this is, to get the graduation rates up, people feel like you're pushing kids through. Well, he, here's the thing. A couple things. First thing is, you didn't hear people talk about or qualify the graduation rate when it was 39%. Mm. People accepted that data wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah, our graduation rate, 39%. Nobody's qualified and said, well, it's, it's a reflection of this, it's a reflection of that. They accepted that data. Now, now all of a sudden, when the graduation rate moves up about 20 percentage points, people say, well, you can't really, uh, 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 really trust that number. You can't believe it here. No one is saying that things are perfect. Mm. But at a certain point, particularly in the in the advocacy of children and families, you got to give them some reason to have hope. You can't each time you make have some indicator of success. Say, well, 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 that really doesn't count. Because you know what those numbers that you're talking about? 
I go to the graduations. Literally, last round, I think I went to eight graduations. Mm-hmm. Lost my voice. You, when, when you talk about, well, that's not really legitimate or there's this excuse, that kid really didn't deserve to graduate. And by the way, New York State is one of only 14 states in the United States of America that requires rigorous, five rigorous exams to graduate. So, yeah, Rain, absolutely. There are people that are graduating and are not college and career readiness. And we have to work on that. Well, we're going to work on that with the same level and vigor that we worked on to get the graduation rate up, which, again, reflects students that are passing five reasons exams. They don't have to pass reasons exam in Alabama. I got to We got to take a break. Van White's here, Rochester City School Board President. Uh, talk a little bit about it. Out of the break, uh, I wanted to ask you a couple different things. Number one, the, the word money has been brought up a lot. In, in all of this. And I think I can understand where the mayor's coming from and city council may be coming from where they just basically say, yep, here's the money. And there isn't a sort of a process as to, well, how the hell are you spending the money? Because there'll be people that will call back to their office right. complaining about you and the board and the schools and the, and the different things. And they got to answer those calls. Sure. And so they wrote the check. They approved the check. So there is this sort of this, this, this discussion on where does the money go? We'll talk about that next, WDKX. DKX, hello, ma'am. I'm just calling in regards to uh, teachers and having more teachers that reflect the population of the students. Um, we see that in other school districts that the teacher population reflects the students. But in the city school district, they don't appear to do a good job at getting teachers of color, keeping teachers of color, and promoting having teachers of color. And that's really important to the psyche of a child development, seeing role models, knowing they can do it, seeing their potential. And even the best teacher who may believe that, you know, all kids can learn and I can do and I can teach anybody, they still come in with some inherent racism just based on what they've been around in their lifestyle. It's really, really imperative that we have teachers of color. And when I say teachers of color, I predominantly mean I mean black teachers. All right, Van, black teachers. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people may not know this, but my undergraduate degree was in teaching. And you know, less than 1% of teachers coming out of American colleges are African American men. So I know of the topic of which she speaks. Additionally, the research supports what she says. And some people may not like hearing this, but the research says that uh, you get better outcomes when you're diversing, when your instructional staff is more diverse. In, spe- in fact, teachers of color t- tend to get better results from students of color. So I agree, well, 101% personally and by research. Here's the problem. And the problem is, again, the colleges. Less than 1% of teachers coming out of teacher colleges are African American men. They are not falling over backwards to get to Rochester, New York. There are other cities that pay just as well, if not better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we struggle. So, uh, so but why? Why do why, they? Yeah, well, why, why don't I mean, they you're a young person. Well, you're a young person. Why don't young people come here to do high tech stuff? Or why don't they come here to do medicine? Or, or you, they, they are, actually. Well, well, but I think the data is, quite honestly, they're not. They're, that it, it, is, it has become extremely competitive. Rochester vis-a-vis Atlanta, mm-hmm. Boston. Other okay, black okay, population okay. areas. Right, right, but, but let's, right. let's forget the data. Just... Just, the data and, is important. But but let's forget the data just on just a, a person to person. You're talking to the community. Forget the data. Well, the data What's is the important, issue? Rain. But, but, so it, listen, but the data reflects people. I'm an African-American male teacher. My son is an African-American right. male teacher. We understand that. It is that. difficult to get them here. 
Why? Than because Why? of money? Why? Is it, is it money? Well, I, as I suggested, if you look at other industries, Rochester is not at the top of the list for people coming to pick a job place, a place of employment, a place to settle down. There are others. My daddy told me 30 years ago, he said, bounce. That's my nickname. Yeah. He said, go to Atlanta, Georgia. That's where you need to be. My sisters, all my sisters, or six of us, three of my sisters moved to Atlanta, Georgia. My brother moved to Detroit. My older brother is still here in Rochester. So two out of the six of us are not in Rochester. My guess is, that's you call that data, mm-hmm. but my guess is that's reflective of what is happening. That doesn't mean we should give up. We go to historically black colleges. We we particip- We try to create our own core of teachers. You know, we have the uh, teachers uh, program over at East High School that tries to develop teachers from within. We, we develop our paraprofessionals to become teachers. So we haven't given up, but the reality is, like in my family, I think that's reflective of the data nationally. People just don't tend to come to Rochester. So you're saying the profession lacks black males at, at an abundance. That's the data. And you, and recruited, you can't like draft them. You, well, I mean, it, they, they get options to go different places. If you think about it, the data says that less, less, not even 1%, less than 1% of people them. coming out of college are African-American men. So you think at this particular point, if you're a black male, you should go into teaching because you would be in high demand. Oh, in absolutely. Any black population absolutely. If you speak uh, Spanish as a primary language or a secondary language, you're you're marketable. But if you're an African-American male administrator teacher, you are marketable. And my point merely is, Rain, the data suggests that the pool is not large enough for Rochester to compete effectively with. But I, that doesn't mean we've stopped trying. We I can't do, stop trying. I do want to ask a question I, about college. You I, mentioned this before. I, I, so if you're graduating young black men or young people in Rochester, uh, women, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. Are they college ready when they leave the Rochester City School District? A lot of people would say some of them are not. And I would agree with those folks that say some of them are not. Here's the thing. People throw around that number, that, that data, and they say people aren't, our children aren't college ready. Here's the thing. New York State hasn't indicated how you measure college readiness yet. So I think that's a number that people are referring to, and we really don't have firm data. We're looking into figuring out how to, you know, you can you can use the SAT scores. Mm-hmm. Problem is, how many decades have in this studio and across this nation have people said SAT scores are culturally biased? So you can't have it both ways. You, you, some people want to use the SAT score as a measure of college readiness or the lack thereof, but then some people want to say, wait a second, SAT scores aren't fair and they're culturally biased. The fact is, there are, many of our students are not college and career ready. We have to improve on that area, but the question is, you got to figure out what measures do you use to determine whether someone's college ready. Are they ready to go to college? Do they flunk out in their first year of college? And and who's telling us they're not college ready? Mm-hmm. Are, is it these colleges that are offering up summer college readiness programs at tuition costs? Are they motivated to say that? But let me just say, I know mm-hmm. what people are talking about. People yeah. are not college and career ready, and we have to work on that just like we worked on the graduation rate, just like we've worked on reducing out-of-school suspensions. You know, Tariq, back in the day, people were talking about out-of-school suspensions. They are down dramatically in our district. But we can't do everything at one time. This city had a host of problems before, and will continue to have them, after Board of, 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 board of Education members are elected. I guess going back to what someone was saying in the text line earlier about kids just being pushed through, and you can tell by looking at a kid's, uh, their, you know, their, their what, what is it, what is, what's the word I'm looking for? Report card? Not a report card, their transaction, their school transcript, transcript, right? And you can look and see, you know, where they struggle at, and you can see that, okay, all these years in school they've been struggling, obviously, if they've been struggling from the third grade to the 12th grade, obviously they're not college ready. 
Well, you know, Rain brought it up. I think you brought it up on the air. Uh, there's this issue of what some people call social promotion. It's when you promote somebody. Because they're in the grade. In the grade, a, in, right? in the age as opposed to what they know. And this is where the researchers confuse everybody. Because there are some that say if you don't socially or move someone according to their grades cohort, the other kids in the grade, they will get despondent. Mm. And there's high dropout rates when you don't promote children. So, and some people, uh, the other side, I know, I know, I know. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I, and I'm not I saying got, I, agree I, got, with those. I got you. And then there's some that say you, you, you've got to re- retain them at their grade so that they, when they do graduate, they are college and career ready. Well, see, I think it's a double edged sword because, okay, like you say, if they don't get promoted to the next grade, they drop out. But if they get promoted to the next grade and they struggle with their classmates, they lack, you know, uh, the confidence. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword with that. It is, it is. And, and all this conversation, for which there is no, I gotta tell you, a lot of things we talk about in the school district, there are no clear-cut answers. This is why, when I say, you can't have people, because this is the re- referendum. The referendum, what, let's bring it back to that. The referendum proposes that we have people in Albany, who we don't even know who they would be, identify people who would service the people in Rochester. Here's the problem right now with the referendum. If it were to be enacted, that proposal, you heard the commission, Commissioner Ely is resigning end of August. The person who runs the State Department of yeah, Education. she's gone. She's gone, right? Her top aides, many of them, have left, mm-hmm. right? The distinguished educator, he's gone. So, so what you want to do is create a system that has people in Albany, and we don't even know who those people are, appoint, furthermore, appoint people, and we don't even know who they are, to create a plan that isn't even on the table. And here's the thing. If you read the commissioner's letter, the current commissioner's letter, yeah. dated August 2nd, 2019, it says, we look forward to supporting the district's effort to implement the action plan and ultimately improve educational outcomes for students in the city of Rochester. We have a plan now. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to ask? Well, we have a, a frontliner texting because I'm going to kind of add something onto this. And they said that uh, we can't put all this on the recruitment staff. The children have a lot of mental health, behavioral issues, lack of support from parents, which can be draining. And they said um, they have consistent leadership. There's been three superintendents in the past 10 years, I believe, which can be a turnoff. And they said the city school district lacks resources. When you look at other cities, these these districts have the resources, support, and manpower. So with that being said, how can we actually make teaching attract black men and women to teach our kids what what can you do as a school district to make it more attractive if whether it's in the community i would start in the community first and then work outwards to get them to want to teach our children yeah i mean that that's that's a hundred thousand dollar question and we have maybe a hundred dollars worth of that answer we have the teaching learning institute at east high school that is grows up a population of students of color mm-hmm. who want to be teachers. I think we've even talked about it in the past here on DKX. We have paraprofessionals. We have a directed, concerted effort to take our paraprofessionals who are aides in our classrooms. Uh, they come from our, our more diverse uh, staff, Bente, non-instructional employees, paraprofessionals, and we try to encourage them to go to college because they are very diverse in their background. And then, uh, again, the, the idea of going to historically black colleges and recruiting students. And, and let me add one other thing. We have a group of African-Americans. Most of them, I think, are African-American men. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're administrators. They're teachers. They meet regularly. I've met with them. And their idea is to try to hold up, as you say, Rain, the profession of teaching. Because back in the day, before any of us were born, you know, 
particularly in the post-Civil uh, War context, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. teaching was a very admirable profession. A lot of people went into it. And for some reason, I think because uh, the civil rights legislation gave us more opportunities to go into more fields, teaching, I think, uh, got less respect. And that's unfortunate because mm-hmm. it is probably the most important position that you well, can hold in society. I've, I've often said sometimes teachers are underpaid and yeah. you, you want to yes. attract more people. You have to, you know, with the way the living wage is gone now, uh, teaching is more than just a passion. It, there are some people that have to go home to families. Right. And there I know some teachers that come out of their own pocket to buy supplies and to help take care of kids within the community because they know exactly um, what's needed. I, I will I will ask this one question to you, Van. If you were a teacher or a principal at a school, what is your thoughts on passing a kid who's not at that grade level? What What do I believe should be done if a child With, is if not a kid at is level? not at the grade level? I'll just give you a grade, fourth grade, and they are not ready for yeah. the fifth grade. Do you pass that kid on to the fifth grade or do you leave them in the fourth grade with an action plan or something? Well, let, let me let me talk about one of the issues that people talked about with the board very briefly. They say we should not get involved in day-to-day operational Well, issues. this isn't day-to-day. Well, well, I, this is let, just let, a let theory. Me, let me just yeah. say that. But a lot of people in hearing my response would mm-hmm. say, oh, no, 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 man. That's micromanaging. You're telling. But I, in some in substance, believe that retention is the best way to deal with it. In other words, if a child is not performing up to standards yeah. you know we have ela and math scores while our graduation rate has gone up our out of school suspension has gone down i will be the first to admit our ela english language arts and our mathematics scores have not progressed in the way they need to and that's why we brought in terry dade he has a background he has history for transforming struggling urban districts in those key areas but if a child is not performing according to those standards I think he or she should be retained. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be a lot of people that say, oh, no, Van, first of all, you shouldn't be saying that. That's for the superintendent to say or not say. And, and then there'll be those folks who say, Van, you're wrong. You should socially promote kids because if, if they're retained with kids who are younger with than themselves, they will get despondent and, and, and feel dejected. Now, let me tell you something. I don't think something I've ever said on DKX. When I was young, uh, I was retained. Mm-hmm. And... There is something. This ain't data. There is something to what they say about, and I don't know if anybody here, if you have relatives, but let me tell you something. It is a huge burden to sit in a room full of children. You're looking at them as children yeah. that are younger than you. So I get what they're saying. Well, you don't but have in to be the in the end, same class as them to get the help you need. Well, you don't have to be in well, their class. Well, well, I'm going to tell you, my instructors put me in the same classroom, for example, with, with I was taking... Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think that time. works. Yeah, I don't think it's that works. I'm just today. saying that that kid shouldn't be around other fifth graders that are at that level well, because if they become a distraction to the other fifth graders, the other fifth graders are not going to get the instruction time they need. Well, I, I wasn't one of those kids that caused a distraction, but as I sat there, in my own feelings of inadequacy, mm-hmm. it, it was really hurtful to me. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you the class. I should have been in uh, geometry or trigonometry. I was taking algebra. Mm-hmm. Now you, you know how that works. No, right? algebra. That's like that's like that's way rough. behind. That's oh, yeah. rough. So so they didn't offer another class for kids who were behind. Students who were behind. They put me in a classroom with other students who were taking. Uh, el- uh, algebra, mm-hmm. which were ninth graders. I think at the time I was uh, either a 10th grader or 11th grader. I felt, and, and so this is what I'm saying, I understand the argument. But notwithstanding that, I think in the end, I ended up in a better place. Okay. Uh, WDKX, the Wigger Club, we got a month before school starts, a new superintendent coming in. You do understand the frustration of the mayor understanding Absolutely. how many times we've had a superintendent in the last, I do. was it five, six years? Yeah and building consistency. There was an idea she had I wanted to ask you. What about keeping a teacher and having that teacher grow with 
either elementary school or middle school kids throughout, what was it, three or four years? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, that? That happens in schools throughout our district. It's called looping. That, that happens all the time. It doesn't happen at every school. Uh, again, this is this conversation about micromanaging. I know you're not calling for that. No, but, no, no. But, I just, no, no, yeah. no. I get it. But, but um, many people feel that, yes, while the superintendent is an important figure in the district, Many people, including superintendents, feel you got to let principals lead. You got to let them be the instructional leaders of their building. So, in one building, you may find looping. You may find that teachers keep the same cohort of students, right? But in other schools, you may not find that. And in fact, you, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time where we had one superintendent that told us, hey, listen, you ought to have the configuration K through eight. I don't know if you remember that, but there was mm. a big debate, yeah. and Bohan Vargas had changed the configuration to K through eight. So no, actually, it was Jean Claude, mm-hmm. uh, so that we can keep the students. Sorry to keep together. them all straight, keep, man. Keep, well, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Well, well, I, I want to address the, the length of our superintendent tenure in a second, and let me just say very briefly. Yeah. Look at the, the data, the numbers. We the national average for urban superintendents is two point five years. That's it. Two point. It's a tough job. You Why? Because they have, leave like other teachers. They well, go get well, other no, jobs. Well, well, I was gonna say it is a tough job. All these things we're talking about, superintendents have to deal with well, them. The, on but the they daily. say that, man. People well, get other offers, and they're kind of like, yeah, well, I kind of well, want to well, leave well, and, and well, go get well, more money. And that's what Jean Claude did. But if you if you look at our numbers, Jean Claude stayed for three and a half years. Bohan Vargas, a total of four years. Uh, Clifford Janey, I think it was seven years. Manny Rivera, eight years. Barbara Dean Williams, two years, six months, mm-hmm. uh, and before her, you, you, you know, the superintendents have a bit. We were above. interim. We were interim for a bit. Yeah, 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 you, can't, yeah. you can't count interim. Yeah, One of our interims true. had a stroke. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so people want to add him, and then we had the wisdom to bring him back and Linda Simbits back because you notice initially it was Dan Lowengard, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he had a stroke. Yeah, yeah. His chief of staff was a woman by the name of Linda Simmons. Uh, she became permanent superintendent. So those are the numbers people count. She became permanent superintendent to take his place. And then when Barbara left, what did we do? We didn't bring in another interim. We brought in Dan Lowengard. I got you. I got Simmons. you, man. I got All right. Now, going back to you said the national average for a superintendent is 2.5 yeah, years, right? Yeah. And, you know, when you look for a new superintendent, obviously it's a lot of money for the search and all that, right? So why don't we focus on getting somebody local? Wouldn't it be a lot, lot cheaper to go that route? Well, the the cost for a superintendent search can average between thirty and forty thousand dollars. That's 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 a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But in a budget of just short of a billion dollars, that's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. When you want to make sure you get, so we interviewed quality candidates that were local, mm-hmm. and of course it's an open search. We interviewed people that were outside this district, and in this instance, we found what we believe to be a very good superintendent. And let me just say, a Barbara Dean Williams. The, uh, we haven't officially announced the graduation rate increases from last year, this year, mm-hmm. but I can tell you it's above 3%. And if you understand how th- those numbers work, that's significant. Barbara Dean Williams, our last superintendent, was responsible for that. Her, the prior superintendent for, her, for him, uh, for her, before her, was an additional 3 or 4%. Mm-hmm. Only reason, and the reason I'm asking that question is because Rochester is known to be the pass through city where. Folks that's not from here, they only come here for a little bit and then they get an opportunity at a probably a bigger market or whatever. But I feel as if if you find someone here local, they have the best interest for the community. And I think they will stick around more than that 2.5 years. Well, you know, and they already know what they're getting themselves into. There may be something to that. But in the end, it's like what we have to do is uh, we have to find the best candidate suited. And I'm going to tell you. Consistent with what you're saying, we when people don't apply locally, we I, I without getting any names, I said to our search firm, hey, what about this person? What about that person? Those were local people. In the end, I, I'm not going to describe what happened. They did not apply. So, but to your point, 
there is something to the fact that locals might have a more vested interest. But we've had local people before. Manny Rivera, Bohan Vargas, uh, the guy many, many years before I got on the board. We've had local people. Are they products of the district, though? Uh, Manny Rivera came up as a teacher. Uh, Bohan Vargas. Uh, He's was, talking he about a bo- student that graduated oh, from a oh, Rochester City School I, District. I, no, I, I don't think Manny Rivera came up through the system that far, but he came up as he was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, 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 there are people. Uh, great example. I, I don't even know if I should say this. But to your point, the thought is that maybe somebody who graduated from our district, from uh, high school, for actually from middle school on up, might be able to not necessarily decide to stay longer, but might have a real sense for this community. I'm going to tell you, consistent with that, you just have to rely on my awareness because I can't give out names. I identified people in our district that fit that bill. In the end, we picked what we believe to be the most competent, capable person. And I think time will show yeah. that Terry Dade, I hope you have him up on your show, is the person for that job. Uh, Van White is the president of the Rochester City School District. Uh, thank you for the time, as always. Appreciate that. Always a pleasure. Uh, WDKX, the Wake Up Club, get ready for back to school. We're less than a month away, and I don't know about anybody else, but I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> get out. Get out. Uh, and you still have plenty of opportunities to find out what school you want. Absolutely. There's some number of uh, charter schools, nothing is you, Van, but there's a number of charter schools that are still accepting applications, and a number of schools. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're moving in, if you're new to the district, you just moved in. Uh, to pick from as well and start charting that course right now for the best school that fits your child. We're WDKX, The Wake Up Club.